The Apostle Peter has always held a special place in my heart. I'm always rooting for him to get it right and absolutely commiserating with him when he doesn't. Peter is a passionate and an impatient disciple. He's the first to follow, the first to defend his faith, and he is ready to act. He's in the front row with his arm raised high, shaking his hand, eager to answer a question that hasn't been asked yet. I've always understood this as Peter's desire to please Jesus. Yet somehow this desire gets him off track. Peter's enthusiasm sometimes keeps him from being attentive or thoughtful. His confidence causes him to jump to some conclusions and make some assumptions. His desires and arrogance impair and inhibit his discipleship. His eagerness makes him vulnerable, sometimes causing him to appear to appear disloyal and leading him to betrayal. Our reading from Mark is a great example of Peter's character, and indeed it has come to exemplify our understanding of Peter. We call this story Peter's Confession, making Peter the focus. And yet we don't even include his confession in today's reading. This portion of the gospel lives in tension between Jesus' teaching and Peter's leadership. Peter confesses Jesus as Messiah, and yet he appears unable to comprehend who Jesus is. Now, Peter's confession is missing from today's reading, but it's essential to the whole story. Jesus is with his disciples, and he asks them, who do people say that I am? And they give a variety of answers. And then Jesus turns to Peter and says, who do you say that I am? And Peter, in all of his eagerness, says, you are the Messiah. And Jesus tells him, that's right, you get it right. Now, this may seem like a simple answer or a title. We may even have our own definitions of Messiah. And there are many scholars who claim to know or understand what Peter means. Now, their scholarship is good and accurate. I do not mean to undermine their faithful work. And their view, like ours, is limited. One thing is evident. Whatever Peter believed is radically different from who Jesus knows he is. Now we could wonder about what Peter meant when he used the word Messiah. But what I want us to also remember is that Peter and Jesus had an intimate, personal relationship. Certainly, they were teacher and disciple. I believe they were also friends. Friends who went through a great deal with one another. Imagine, consider for a moment, your closest friend or a great mentor or teacher and what you might imagine 
what vision you may have for their life and their future. We want more than what is best for the people we love. We want everything for them. So when Peter calls Jesus Messiah, I imagine it means more than he can really express, or perhaps even knows. Peter's ideas about the Messiah give him a vision for Jesus, for Israel, himself, and their community. And then, Jesus tells a radically different story about himself. His description of his future ministry at first looks negative and violent. The Son of Man will be betrayed, put on trial, executed by the empire. This does not sound like an anointed king or what one imagines for their friend and their teacher. It sounds a lot like failure or at least a very negative outcome. It is no wonder that Peter pulls Jesus aside and rebukes him, confronting him, because Jesus seems to be dashing all of Peter's hopes. And of course, hindsight always brings some clarity. And later, after the empty tomb and Jesus' ascension and Pentecost, Peter will understand. But for now... Jesus must convert Peter and all the disciples to his story, to his way. Now, what is the divine way? I mean, Jesus describes his way, the divine way, with the image of the cross. And in many ways, this is simple. Jesus carried a cross that brought him to his death and resurrection. And the cross, Jesus' cross, is more than a symbol although it has come to symbolize a lot for us in Christianity. We call this atonement, the way of forgiveness for our sins. In other words, on the cross, Jesus, an innocent man, took all our sins into his divine self. And by this ministry, those who believe in Jesus are forgiven and receive God's mercy. The divine way, then, is his self-offering on our behalf. Yet, Jesus' teaching goes beyond his own death and resurrection. Jesus invites us to take up our cross and follow him, to lose our lives for the sake of the gospel. Jesus empowers us to embody the divine way of the cross in our own lives. When I think about Jesus, I remember so much more than the cross. I have my own little favorite stories about Jesus and his life. The healing of the Gerasene demoniac, that's the one with the pigs that go out into the lake. The hemorrhaging woman, who just wants to touch the hem of Jesus' robe. And the story of the feeding of the 5,000. It's an incredible story and has this wonderful ending that says, they numbered 5,000, not including the women and children. 
Each one of these stories, for me, reveals God's immense, the width and the depth and the breadth of God's compassion and care for creation. God, yes, is a witness to our suffering. And this includes, but is certainly not limited to, our physical and emotional need for healing, the ways that we oppress and harm one another, the hungry, the neglected, the imprisoned, and the forgotten. In Christ, God is more than a witness to our suffering. God is a response. Through Christ, God makes a way for divine compassion, mercy, grace, and love to rule all creation. So consider Peter. As Jesus is put on trial, Peter denies knowing him three times. Peter's fear betrays his devotion and friendship to Jesus. and He rejects Jesus, hoping to save himself. And despite his faithlessness, Peter is a witness to the risen Christ. He's reunited with Christ and anointed as a leader in the community of the disciples. We call him the Apostle Paul, and he is a saint in our church because we hold him as a teacher, a cornerstone in our faith. And in the end, Peter dies for the sake of the gospel, a witness to Christ, giving his life back to God. You remember way back when, when Peter called Jesus the Messiah? Whatever he imagined then, he could not have known what his life would become. Consider our lives. Who do we say Jesus is? Our Savior, a teacher, a friend? A third grader this week told me that Jesus was the nicest person he'd ever known. What is our vision for Christ's ministry in our lives and in the world? Are we forgiven, set free from sin and all that distorts our relationships with God and one another? Do our lives follow a way that embodies Christ's mercy and love? Do we have a vision for the future that sets our minds on the divine way? I don't ask these as sort of abstract curiosities or questions for us to ponder over the dinner table, although that is a good response. I ask them as real-life questions that transform and change us. Jesus' life reveals the mind of God, God's vision for creation, And the kingdom of God is close to us when compassion and mercy rule. The mystery of Christ's ministry is that the offering of himself unites us to the divine and invites us to embody this mystery, to use our whole lives to reveal God's love for creation. Whatever vision we have for ourselves, we must be Converted, converted to the divine way for our sake and for the sake of the world.
We've already received God's forgiveness. And now we must live as those who are forgiven. May God give us the courage to follow Jesus on the divine way, to take up our cross and follow him all the way to the empty tomb and into the world.